Today we have JC Castillo on the show. Do you have multifamily properties to manage? In this episode, JC shares some fantastic ideas to implement in your properties. He loves the property management side of the business and recently started a separate company called Velo Residential that focuses on third-party property management. JC learned that you should always be looking for new ways to improve your business. You never know what might lead to something great. If you're interested in learning more about these strategies and implementing them into your own multifamily portfolio, then listen to this episode. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on J.C. Castillo before we start the show. J.C. lives in California, and he's been investing in multifamily in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for the past 15 years. He's a long-term hold investor and believes in the power and the importance of strong on-site property management. He comes from an engineering background. He's focused on leveraging technology at all of his properties. And he helps many in the Silicon Valley area invest alongside him in the Texas market. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got JC Castillo with us. JC, appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. I, I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how I know JC. Um, we've met at a few multifamily conferences or, or events. Uh, the last one we kind of connected at was, um, it was actually a happy hour with, with an attorney that we've both have worked with. And um, it's been a while, but I see him on social media. I hear about him from other people. Um, actually, I was meeting with a broker recently and uh, for lunch, and he brought up JC's name, um, saying that he started working with him what, a long time ago. So, <laughs> so his name has just kept coming up, and I thought it was about time to bring him on the show. So um, appreciate you coming on. Can you just share with the listeners, um, to start with, how many properties and how many units uh, you're currently invested in? Yeah, I've been in multifamily uh, as an owner operator for the last uh, 15 uh, years. And uh, we've, we've bought and sold uh, well over a thousand. I don't know how many units exactly, but we currently have a portfolio of about seven properties, I think around 950 doors and all located in, in Dallas, Fort Worth. That's where we've been for the last uh, 15 years. Awesome. Awesome. And, but you live in California. I do live in California and invest in Texas. So that's why, what I do. So why do you do that? Uh, you know, it's no big secret. I think uh, when I first started, it's no big secret Texas, to a lot of people that are in the space. But there are some listeners that are just trying to understand it and 
you know, purchasing out of state is kind of scary for them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, that's really the, the key is, is making the decision to, to buy out of state, deciding to do it and how you do it and how you minimize the risk and how you build a team from nothing uh, in a market where you don't actually physically live and aren't physically located and you're a plane right away. I think that's really, you know, the magic of, 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 of it coming together. And certainly it's something that I've, I've done, uh, you know, I think relatively successfully, but there's, you know, some fundamental reasons for that. Um, but Texas in general, uh, you know, back in the mid two thousands, when I was first looking to start buying multifamily properties, I just really saw back then based on the, the analysis and the data that I was, uh, doing that, that I felt like it was going to be great for long-term steady growth because of the affordability factor with, with, uh, rentals and the pricing on the deals was, was, uh, was relatively inexpensive compared to California. And so, uh, the cash flows were a lot better. Um, now back then in the mid two thousands, nobody really thought that equity in the state of Texas was going to be anything, you know, interesting for the foreseeable future. So most people thought, well, if you buy in California, you're going to have equity. And if you buy in Texas, you'll have cash flow, but no equity. But, you know, 15 years later, as we, we know, um, the equity piece has, has been, uh, there in spades. And, and some, some people would argue that possibly there's a more equity upside in the future with, uh, states like Texas, where there's a lot more of a landlord friendly, uh, political system, uh, legal system, et cetera, et cetera. So what would you say on that front? Because look, when I got involved, it was, I don't know, 2017 uh, and the end of 2017. And then I, ha- I met people that were like, Darren, man, I was buying at 30, 40 a door. I'm out. And I'm like, I'm in. And, you know, I bought it like 80 a door. And now it's, you know, what, 150 a door. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, how it's, how it's run up. So what's your take? You, you focused for 15 years on DFW, you know, are you thinking that we're at a top or do you think there's, there's more legs here in valuation? Yeah. You know, I think, I think that, that I don't like to really think of it as being on the top because it's all relative to what time period we're in. If you go back 25, 30 years ago and, whatever cycle that market might've been in, people would have said either it's the top or the bottom. But if you went out 30 years from there and you looked at where we're at today, you, you may say, you know, it, it didn't really matter <laughs> top or bottom, right? Because time cured everything. And so I've always been of the mindset that, um, and by the way, I do believe that we're at a, uh, you know, relatively speaking, we're at a, a top point in the cycle. Um, and that's not just in real estate, that's in a lot of different asset classes. We're just in a cycle where there's a lot of, uh, you know, money being pumped into the economy, which is inflating assets. But going back to, you know, the idea of, of um, you know, being an opportunistic buyer is, is what I've always believed in. So I, I never really look at the top or the bottom of a market and say, I'm either going to be buying because it's the bottom of the market or not going to be buying because it's the top of the market, because we never really know. Um, what I do know after these many years is I know when I walk and underwrite a potentially great deal and when the numbers work and the deal works and it's in a great location, uh, we're going to make that purchase and we're going to go long-term on that deal. And, uh, if you put a great property with, uh, you know, great, 
strategy of a longer term hold, then you you can navigate um, temporary setbacks in the market um, if the economy does change. And, you know, some of that is not inside of our control as investors. Um, so I think being an opportunistic buyer is what I've always embraced. And, um, and I don't really um, try not too much to focus on whether we're in a hot market or a down market or a sideways market. I, I think what you said is very smart is that, and, you know, you didn't say in these terms, but look, it's everything is cyclical and, you know, goes up and goes down. And, and but if you have a long term focus, long term view on it, real estate always finds its way to be in more expense, you know, valued higher as time goes on. So the, I look at it as the key is to be able to ride out that storm if, if a storm comes. Right. And so part of that is great, you know, property management, which we're going to get into. We'll talk about Um, part of that is also the type of debt you put on on the property, because um, for me, one of the you know, if I have people that aren't in the multifamily world that ask me, Darren, what do you think the biggest risk is? And I guess this comes from my loan trading days is is that I look at the maturity risk on the, on the debt. And if, if you are coming due in a terrible economy in a recession, the loan is coming due, then you have no leverage and the lender then cash flows down, perhaps maybe interest rates are up and cap rates are up. Valuations are down in that moment. And so they say, I'm not going to refinance you unless you bring, you know, another million or 2 million of equity to the table. And some people can't do that. And then, you know, they get in trouble with the property. But if you have that flexibility with your financing, then you can take that long-term approach. What's your, your view on that? Well, I, I do, I do believe that if you look historically at some of the major, um, you know, um, down cycles, uh, you know, 2008, the great recession comes to mind certainly the, 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 the big issue with a lot of people that went under and, and, and by the way, I was an owner of multifamily properties back in, uh, before the recession. So I, I, I went through it personally as an owner and, um, the people that got hurt were the people that were over leveraged and the people that, um, any little thing that went wrong, they had no room for error on the lending side. So, um, I would definitely agree with you that, that, you know, um, leverage in general seems to be one of the, the killers, um, when a market uh, crashes, you know, we saw it happen in, in 2008. I, I, I had always been a big believer in long-term debt, not taking a lot of risk and looking at deals as though I were to hold them for good. So for me, the recession did nothing. I, I, I think we might've lost a couple of percentage points on, on occupancy, um, but I was still making my, my, uh, my cash flows. I was, you know, I didn't, I didn't leverage up, you know, significantly, uh, during the, uh, the proceeding to the recession. So I had plenty of room, uh, to even lose revenue and still be able to make my mortgage. And so I just wrote out the storm and it passed, um, and, and really nothing happened. Uh, nothing happened at all. Uh, that was a big lesson for me because I did, I did see a lot of people get wiped out, but it was mostly, uh, way over leveraged and, um, really thinking and believing that things were just going to keep going up like crazy, which, you know, they, they took a little bit of a break. Um, but since then, right. it's been skyrocket, right? Right, exactly. Um, 
but that's, I think, again, um, that speaks to thinking about the long-term aspect of these investments and not necessarily being worried about, hey, I've got to flip this deal in two years. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, the model is, is not going to work. I mean, you know, I look, I look at these things in, in decades and in, in, in 20 and 30 year chunks, and that's the way that I plan, uh, plan our operations. There's not too many people that look at it that way. I got to tell you, I have, I have a lot of syndicators on this show and there's not a lot of people that look at it in terms of decades. So if you're looking at a long-term structure like that in providing, you know, um, and there's been massive returns in, in DFW, you know, multifamily, um, are you focused on doing cash out refinances no, we're, we're not actually, um, we, uh, cash out refinances, they seem like the greatest thing in the world. Um, the only issue is that you, you take all that cash out and you have to immediately put it to work somewhere because you're, remember that you're paying, you're paying four to 5% on that money in the form of additional loan uh, on the property. So if you take that additional money and you put it in your, your bank account and you just let it sit, that's probably the worst thing you could do. Now, if you're able to go and take that money and go invest it into another deal and start making greater than the cost of the debt, well, then you're winning, um, right? So, but in, in my opinion, and just, just the way we look at it, if we're going to do a cash out refi, um, what we may do instead is actually, if the property's been you know, cash flowing for a good long seven to 10 year period, we may instead sell the property and we, we will 1031 exchange it and mm. buy a bigger asset and restart the depreciation schedule so that we can take advantage of that again and lever up uh, with a larger asset instead of doing a cash out refi. So that is the way that we, we approach things. Um, you know, I, like I said, it's hard enough to find deals with the money that I've got sitting in the bank account now. So why would I want to go do a cash out refi, put more money in my bank account that I already can't put to work and if it's already making a, a, a percent return on that investment that it's in, and it's a proven return, because remember now it's got seven years of track record, you know, I, I think I'd rather keep it there until the time that I'm ready to sell the property. So a couple of things on that. One, on the 1031, are these deals, do they have a lot of investors in, in your deals? Yeah, yeah, some of them do. Is it, is it a pain to do the 1031? <laughs> because I've talked to people and I only know one person as a syndicator that's done it. And they said it was a huge hassle. And they said that they wouldn't do it again because it, because it was so much paperwork and it was such in the coordination. It's not a huge hassle if you're working with the right like-minded investment partners. And there are a lot of moving parts and it is not a simple transaction but if you're able to put together an expert team of people that know what they're doing, then it's, it's definitely not as crazy as it may sound, but it is a lot of extra work. And most people that are doing these deals were, will opt to cash out and uh, have their investors, uh, you know, pay a capital gain. Uh, we don't think like that. Uh, we've, we've only ever take, taken a capital gain on one property that we've sold in the last 15 years we've been doing this. We have 1031 exchanged every other deal. And it has benefited our investors significantly, absolutely, significantly, significantly. And we feel good about that. Our investors feel great about that. 
Um, but it's a lot of extra work that some people just don't want to do, but believe me, it is worth it. Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. Um, now I've, we, I mean, we could probably debate this, um, but the cash out refinance to, to me is, is attractive. If you can pull it out, still own that asset and then find another asset to purchase because now all of a sudden you own two assets versus, versus one. Um, and it's a non-taxable event. But I understand your point in terms of if you already have, uh, you know, the cash sitting there and you don't know, you don't, you can't find a deal that makes sense, then why would you want to add to that? So I, I understand that completely. Hey, what were you doing before you got into real estate? You said you got into the real estate in the, or multifamily at least in the mid 2000s. What were you doing before? I am, uh, I am in the Silicon Valley. I'm an ex techie. So I was in the semiconductor business, uh, an engineer by degree and, uh, in semiconductors for about 15, uh, years, uh, here in the Silicon Valley, um, worked for a number of different companies here. And that is, uh, what I did before. And so a lot of our, uh, you know, capital connections and relationships really come from the tech world. We have a ton of, uh, uh, Silicon Valley tech money that, uh, invest with us in our properties, uh, in Texas. That's fantastic. So you were already had a bunch of capital from being in the tech space and you left and decided to invest that capital in the multifamily. And, you know, it's, it's turned out very well and you've helped a lot of other people now grow their wealth through that. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and I mean, look, um, we've never really advertised, um, or it's always been word of mouth, uh, in terms of our investors and we've, we've grown over the years and our investor base has grown because we've been able to execute and, you know, did what we say we were going to do. And, um, and so it's been, you know, pretty, pretty good run. Um, and, and we want to continue that, but I think, you know, at the same time, we, we are not, uh, looking to grow for the sake of growing. We, uh, you know, my principal partner and I, we're majority equity, uh, you know, shareholders across the portfolio. We, we invest personally, uh, in our deals. And so we, we kind of look at this as a, uh, basically a way to create a long-term, um, you know, uh, flow and equity source, uh, that we can grow over time, slow and steady. And so unlike, you know, some syndicators that maybe want to grow to, you know, 10,000 or 20,000 units, that's really not what we're after. What we're really after is just every year putting a couple of really high quality deals in the hopper and growing our portfolio and making sure that we're maximizing operations and cash flow and, and that we're taking care of our residents because really those are, you know, those are the key to our businesses. And, uh, and every year it gets a little bit better, a little bit better. That's awesome. So, my understanding is that you are an operations guy and you, you've started a company called, um, Velo, V-E-L-O, yes. residential. Velo, like Velocity, Velo right. Residential. So can you talk to us about, you know, one, why did you start that? Did you start it internal? And now I think you offer it out to third parties now too. When did that start taking place? Yeah. So Velo Residential is really sort of the, is the, uh, the idea of basically taking what we've built in house. Cause as, a as a private equity syndication company, we are vertically integrated. So we built out our own property management company, um, a long time back. And so we manage our own properties and we've been doing that for many years. 
And the way that we built out our company and the things that we've implemented to sort of make the management work are, are things that, that I always thought would have a lot of value to other owners. So, um, what, what, what we decided to do, uh, um, this year was actually create a separate company. Uh, we still have our own third, uh, our own internal management company that is strictly for our own properties. But this year we created another company called Velo Residential and we have taken, uh, those learnings and the, the IP that we built out and we've created a third party company for owners in Dallas, Fort Worth that want to use Velo Residential, the third party PM, uh, to manage their, uh, large scale multifamily properties. And so that is really, uh, the main focus of what I am up to these days. Um, the, the syndication company that we have is still going strong, uh, but I've got great partners that are really helping on that front. And so, um, uh, Velo is, is really, uh, for me is what it's all about these days. So talk to me about Velo. How many, so you started it this year, yep. um, offering it to third parties, um, how many properties, how many units do you guys currently yep. manage? Just under 500 doors. We, uh, we've onboarded our first four clients over the last couple months. So we just got out of the chute and, uh, we are obviously in, in growth mode. Um, but we're also, you know, we are not, uh, uh, you know, as per the profile of who I am, we don't want to grow, uh, to 10,000 doors overnight. Even if we could, uh, we really want to take a slow and steady approach to really consistent and solid growth. And so we are in the process of finding, um, you know, a few good owners to partner with. We've got some in the hopper and we want a few more and we want to get to a thousand doors, which I think we'll do in the next couple months and really kind of sit tight for just a bit and get our house in order and then look to sort of grow from there. So we're very, me having a background in, in management, property management, I know how uh, stressful it can be and how many things can go wrong. So you really, with this thing, you have to be very, um, you know, intentional and slow and steady and make sure your foundation is solid before you start to scale because that, you know, doing it too fast, uh, it really impacts the, the owners, uh, uh, and, and their properties. And you, you don't want to put them in that situation. It's interesting because with you guys starting this, this business, it's very consistent with everything that you said about building the, you know, the syndication, you know, multifamily real estate business. It, you are very measured, you're very, you know, um, I've met so many people in this space that look at the space is done phenomenal, right? I mean, people are making hand over fist um, and, and valuations are going through the roof. Um, but there, I've met a lot of people that are, are going at lightning speed and your approach is different. It's more about quality. It's more about having a measured pace. It's more about, um, you know, getting the results with the business that you have first and then growing on top of that. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. Uh, to everything that you just said. And I think that that just goes back to the idea that, look, um, I want to build a successfully, um, uh, a, you know, focused company that focuses on the owners and profits for those owners but that doesn't mean that I have to get to 10,000 units in, in two years. Right. I can be ex phenomenally successful with owners for 2,000 units over the next three or four years, if that's what it takes. And I can take a lot of delight and satisfaction from doing that. Um, 
just as easily as growing it to 10,000 doors. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we will become a, a large company and we have plans on doing that, but we're not going to sacrifice um, profitability and quality uh, for the sake of growth. We're just not in that business. We don't need to be, right? Uh, we're, we're building a long-term term company. You know, on the real estate side, you say you take a long-term approach. You look at it in terms of decades. You know, I don't think that that always happens on the property management side, but I think that there's huge value in doing that because all aspects of this business is a word of mouth business. So if you, you know, do very well for your first owners, they're going to tell other people, you know, and then the snowball starts happening versus, you know, if they took a chance with you and there's a bunch of hiccups and they, you know, the valuation suffers accordingly, they're going to be like, you know what? You may want to let them iron out the kinks before <laughs> you jump on board. Yep. You, you nailed it. That's exactly right. It's um, and it's a mindset that we, we have as, as a company Velo and, and that's, uh, and that's the way we're going to market. So, what differentiates Velo from, say, another property management company? You know, it's, it's a great question, Darren. I'm glad, glad that you asked. You know, um, if I think back to uh, my situation as a syndicator, as a sponsor, as an owner-operator, and I think about all the challenges that I had over the years, I think it comes down to this. It's very, very simple. Um, owners are in this business to make profit, Okay. Profit is not just good for the owners. It's actually good for the renters, uh, the residents, because when you are a profitable owner, you can actually put money back into the property to give them a better experience. And most owners that I know are all about putting money back into the property if they can afford to, um, if there's, if it's profitable and that's a good thing for, for them and a good thing for the residents. Now, most owners, if you talk to them about management companies are struggling to find management companies are extremely aligned to maximizing profitability. And that's a mindset that we've adopted from day one. We've said, okay, look, the number one objective for the owner is profitability. And we are going to model our company around how to build a long-term profitable machine for that property this owner wants to give us. And what we understand very well is that that owner, they may be listening to your show right now, is focused on profitability and they are struggling right now to make the numbers work because they are buying properties at all time highs. And there's a bunch of expenses that are going up like crazy. And right now the revenue is good because, you know, rental increases are, are, are happening now. And it's a, it's a great thing. Um, but what happens when rental increases go to more normal rates, historical normal rates, but possibly expenses keep maybe stepping up a tad. So I think, what that comes down to is profitability revolves around three very important things. And, um, and this is what we've learned. Management companies got to be focused on three things to make owners profitable. Number one is they've got to be focused on the on-site staff. The on-site staff is going to be as an owner going to be either you're going to be making money because you have a great staff, or you're going to be not making money because your staff is unmotivated and, and leaving and revolving doors are happening. Um, what we figured out with onsite staff is that unfortunately they're asked to do a lot of back office tasks that don't really have value to basically making the residents happy and making the owners money. So all the reporting and all the things like, for example, taking all the, answering all the calls that come in for a, a prospect that's interested in leasing a unit. 
Well, guess what? 66% of every person that ever calls your property or emails your property will never actually want to rent your unit. So imagine if there's 100 calls coming in a month to your property on-site manager and they're answering every call. And imagine that 66 and two-thirds of those calls are a complete waste of their time, okay? That's basically keeping them from kissing hands and shaking babies with your residents, going over and collecting delinquent rents, leasing new units, right? So when I talk about the on-site staff, I don't just talk about making them happy as in throwing them a birthday party. What I'm talking about is thinking about their life and their role and how you take all those back office functions off of their plate and let them focus on the things that are going to make you more money. Because at the end of the day, on-site staff, if managed right and given the right tools, can make your property a lot of money. Completely agree. So how did you solve that 66%? Um, well, that's, a, that's just a stat that we know because we're able to uh, work with our partners to track the, the number of, of leads that come in and the number that actually convert into showings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what we know is this, um, when a prospect calls in to lease your unit at your property, you have probably no more than five minutes with a hot lead to make a connection. If you wait beyond those five minutes, the chances of that prospect actually leasing your unit drop significantly. So the most important thing you want to do is you want to make a connection with that hot lead right away within the first couple minutes. And so just take the simple example of your on-site staff are only at your property for eight to nine hours a day. What happens if that lead calls in at nine o'clock at night? Well, they get a voicemail. Or if they email at nine o'clock at night, they won't hear back until the next day. Your manager gets into the office and she's, you know, getting her coffee and cleaning up the shop and talking to the maintenance guys. She's not going to start making callbacks to your prospects until probably nine, 10 o'clock in the morning, if, if she's lucky. Now, almost 12 hours have passed since that time. And remember, I said, if you don't connect within the first five minutes, that lead goes cold. So right. the real question is, how do you solve that problem? Well, the way that we've solved it is we use an artificial intelligence bot as part of our, uh, our go-to-market strategy, where any prospect that calls or emails one of our properties 24-7, uh, seven days a week, will get a response back within two minutes or less. And that response with the AI bot is intelligent and they will be able to have a conversation over text or over email that will basically ask the prospect questions that would basically vet them and also ask them to book a tour with us right away. I think that's smart. So you, you've gone a little further than like, even if you just went the one step where you said, thank you for, you know, you sent a text message saying, thank you for being interested we're going to get in touch with you tomorrow. That would be hands down better than most properties can ever execute yeah, on right now. Imagine this, Darren, what if I took it a step further and told you that same scenario. And instead of that, you had a text message that said, Hey, thanks for calling Amber Creek apartments. We have one and two bedroom units available. Would you like to book a tour with us? Yeah. Question mark. No. And then, and then give them a calendar like, and, and, and what if they wrote back and they said, hey, you know what? Before I book a tour with you, I've got this little dog named Daisy. She's super cute. And I, I, I'm only looking for places that are pet friendly. And what if that artificial intelligence bot wrote back to that person and said, hey, we're, we're, we love fur babies. We, our pet policy is um, a $300 non-refundable deposit and $25 per month for your rent. 
for your pet. Would you like to book a tour? Yeah, that's nice. So this is the type of stuff that's happening right now. And and the technology is out there and think about it. Not only are we interacting with a hot prospect right away, but we've also just removed a bunch of incoming phone calls into your office manager's office, which are going to drive that person crazy. Because remember what I told you, 66% of those leads are just looky-loos. You've taken all that off their plate and then actually they can have the, 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 the wherewithal to focus on other more important things than answering a phone call and booking a tour, which at the end of the day, the AI bot can do perfectly well. So again, it's all about the onsite staff and thinking about how we can take back office work off their plate and leverage their talents a lot more to drive the real problems that they need to be solving at the property. And I would imagine... The on-site staff, the leasing manager is like thankful. That- well, guess what? We don't have leasing managers at our properties, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, we have eliminated leasing agents at the properties, and we've instead implemented a virtual set of humans and AI bots that handle all of the back office work, inclusive of what a leasing agent would do. And so we're able to save the owner's money by not having leasing agents at the properties. Hmm. So the, the old school guy in me is like this little skeptical because yes, people like to do business with people. And, and so I see the value in having AI, but I also see the value in shaking hands with somebody and being, being able to say, Hey, look, remember that's still, that's still happening. We have an office manager that's still shaking hands when the prospect comes in for the tour and showing them around and, you know, letting them know about the property and answering any questions. It's just that all of the other back office stuff that goes along with getting that person to the tour and then following up with that person with the application, background checks, screening, all that stuff, that stuff is done virtually. Gotcha. Okay. So there's still a human touch to be able to, because if I'm a tenant and then walk in, there's something about being with somebody that just makes them feel like this is a good place to live. There always, there always has to be a human element. And that's why, you know, you can never replace that human touch. Right. And that's why there, there, there will always be at least one, one person, a human body that'll be at that property. But does there need to be more than one human body? That's what we're talking about. Because think about it. If you've got a 200 unit property, you've got an office manager and a leasing agent. That's the, that's the traditional setup. Right. Well, that leasing agent is costing you about $50,000 loaded costs, including employee taxes, uh, excuse me, employer taxes, workers' comp, and medical insurance, they're costing you $50,000 a year, okay? Now, if the office manager can be that person that's got the warm body and the touch, and you can eliminate and virtualize all of the leasing office functions and more with a person that is virtual, or several people in our case, the way we go to market, then that model is actually not only going to save the, uh, the owner money, but it's going to be more efficient without losing the personal touch. Right. So the way that we go to market is we, we instead of having that leasing agent um, at the property, we are basically having a virtual services center comprised of AI bots and virtual humans that are, um, that are doing all the work and more of a leasing agent and invoice processing and all this other stuff that traditionally is done by the, the, um, the office staff, and we charge for those services in the form of a fixed per unit cost per month 
which is less than the cost of the leasing agent, the loaded cost of the leasing agent at the property. Sure. So, the, so they have that additional profitability. So that's, mm-hmm. that's very interesting approach. I, I like that. So what about um, number two and number three? So number one is onsite staff yep. and thinking about them and how you make them happy and how you virtualize and, and eliminate the back office. Number two is, a, is an also a very important one. And number two is a modern uh, renter experience. Um, and, uh, and basically this goes back to the idea that, you know, if you're managing a B-class or a C-class asset, the common, uh, I believe, a misconception is that the renters um, will are willing to settle for less on the experience front. Um, things like, uh, you know, having the ability to t- pick up your phone, your iPhone, and take a picture of a broken toilet bowl and text it to submit a work order instead of having to log into a portal or call and sit on hold for 30 minutes to, to submit a work order or walk into the office things like being able to snap a, a picture of a, of a, of a, of a work order, a problem and text it into a, uh, you know, uh, to, to get recorded as a work order and have the maintenance guy dispatched are things that we, we offer today, even to a C-class property. And believe me, most people have an iPhone, even workforce people. Right. So, you know, it's not like they don't like those experiences. It's just that most people think that that won't work for a C-class property, but the renter experience and being paperless and having an online approach and um, being able to text the residents instead of having to phone call them when we need something or they need something. Um, all those sorts of things that we, we do, I think are very valuable to the residents and it makes your product sticky with them when it comes to time to renew, uh, you know, their lease. And um, the more you can improve the experience, the better your chances of, of getting that renewal, which is going to make you a lot of money as an owner. Yeah. Get the renewal plus, they may refer other people to, you know, friends and family to come live in the community. Um, It's a very simple thing, what you said, but even for myself, I'm not, and I'm not renting, you know, in one of these apartment complexes, but I'm going to talk about just, I'm invested in a lot of different deals, multifamily deals, and everyone has a different portal. And I don't want to, log into every portal to see my information. I want then the syndicator just to send me, here's the, what's going on, you know? So I want the experience to me is easier if I'm not forced to log on. So when you were saying that I related it to, to that process. And I could just imagine if I had an issue, I would much rather just snap a picture and send it to a number than Man, I have to go log on. Yeah, and then when, I have you, to when you text, when remember you text it my in. password. I have, yep. you know, I have to upload this, like, you know, or I or I have to go in tomorrow, and I typically leave for work before the office opens, and you know, all of those little things that are aggravations. You take that aggravation away, and you're like, the, leave the renter with, wow, that was easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's the idea, right? Is making it easy to submit a work order because. Um, this business isn't complicated. We got to collect rents. We've got to service work orders. And, you know, there's a few other things we got to do. We got to lease units. But, you know, when you focus on the simple things like a work order and how you handle it and how you execute it, that's important to a renter. That's the, that resident is going to judge you when it comes time to renew 
based on how you treated them when it came, when, it, when there was a, a toilet that didn't work or when there was a leaky faucet, when there was some sort of an issue with their, with their unit. And they're going to go back to that experience, you know, and how they felt and how they were treated and how easy it was to submit a work order yeah, first I th- and foremost. I, I think that's smart. And, and, and those things, thinking about the, the, that resident and what their perspective is and how you can make their life easier, again, goes back to the whole idea of profitability because the more easier you make it for your residents to do business with you, the higher chance they're going to stay with you longer and you're going to make more money because of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what's number three? Well, number three is, is one that I think a lot of owners could relate to. Um, and that is, we call them KPIs or key performance indicators. So one of the things that bothers me as an owner is, is, um, having to go through 10,000 reports to see how your property is performing. Um, that's why the idea of, of KPIs is so attractive because we have a, a very simple set of, um, bar charts that turn red or green based on performance to budget. And they will tell you within, you know, um, five minutes, whether your, your properties are hitting their numbers or not. And you can look at that. We send those out um, twice a week to our owners. You can look at that and you can know if your properties are either working or not working. And you can go, you can go dive deep to where you're having problems. Um, And so the idea of having visibility to how your portfolio is performing with a simple set of KPIs that visually can tell you if it's green or red, that's something that I think is really important to being able to problem solve because look, Let's face it, Darren, none of these properties go perfectly. Right. There's always problems. Um, any business is always going to have problems. The, the real challenge is, do you know what the problems are when they're happening? And if you don't know, you can't even start to solve what you don't know is broken. So the, 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 for us, the real key that we built into our um, management company is that we, we really want to make it easy for the owners to know, for the good or for the bad, where the, where the issues and the, and where the challenges are coming from so that we can go and problem solve those things together and figure out how to, how to solve them fast. Well, as an owner, I would highly agree with that. Like I, I don't love having to analyze the financials and then dig through and then come up with the questions I have to ask the property management company. So it would be nice to have something that's easy. What has been the feedback from, the people that are using your system as to the KPIs that you guys have, have, um, identified. Um, they've been impressed, you know, and they like it because they can, they can basically reply back to an email, uh, with the report or with the KPIs and they can say, Hey, um, I noticed that the occupant, the projected occupancy for, um, Meadow Creek apartments, uh, is, is, is looking like it's going to go to 92%. Um, how are we doing on leasing activity? So they can start to ask the, the questions that will get down to what's maybe going wrong and we can start to, do, to, to dive deep. But just being able to see those numbers and see where the potential issues are from a high level perspective without having to go and open up, a, you know, lots of reports, but just literally like opening up your email and looking at a visual set of charts, which, you know, there's only like maybe, let's say less than 10. Right. That's very powerful because they can do that fast and quickly. Because remember, anybody that's doing these deals is, is, is usually, you know, they're offering on properties, they're asset managing existing properties, they're working with investors, there's so many things they're doing. So, you know, you don't want to take so much of their time 
to go into, make them try to do all these, you know, fancy, you know, detailed reports to figure out if their properties are doing well or not. I mean, if they're hitting their numbers, they should be able to just skip it and move on. Right. Right. Hey, a couple questions. Um, one is on, I don't know, process, procedural. It seems like you guys have a lot of things buttoned down. I'm going to bring this up and maybe you have it, maybe you don't. I don't know. But um, I, ha- I had one gentleman on that he said, and I know this is true from, from being an owner, that there's a bunch of tenants in, in the, that BC world that like to pay with money orders. So... <laughs> We don't take money orders. You don't take money orders. Well, that's that. Yes. That solves part of the problem. Um, well, first of all, money order money orders actually can can be um, they can be counterfeited. Um, and there's I don't want to get into all the details of why that's a bad thing, but obviously that's a bad thing because they're not really paying their rent. But look, uh, the technology that we have, we enable our residents to either pay with an ACH payment through their bank account or their debit card. Or we give them the option to pay with what we call an electronic cash payment. Um, so they literally every resident at any one of our properties gets a uh, a barcode, and that barcode they can take it to any 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 uh, Walgreens or Walmart or um, Ace Express Ace you know Ace uh, Express or Seven Eleven, and they can scan that barcode. The, the check the checker at the Seven Eleven scans that barcode. The resident gives them the cash. Let's say a thousand bucks. And immediately when that, when that cash hits that register, an automatic payment receipt gets, gets created in our property management software that says that, that, says that they paid rent $1,000 on October 28th for, uh, you know, for, for unit 101, right? And so we don't need a money order because they can just go make the cash payment to any of these places. And, and by the way, these places stay open 24-7, as opposed to an office, which is closed. Right. So if, if a, if a guy has to go get a money order and he comes at nine o'clock at night, he's going to have to drop it into the drop box at the office. And what if that thing gets lost? Or what if, what if the late fees get posted because that person, you know, the manager didn't get to enter that money order until later in the system. So there's a lot of reasons why ECPs are way better, but at the end of the day, so it prevents us from having to do all this extra legwork. In your situation, because of the other scenario, I think this is the way it works. Um, a tenant could go to Walmart with a money order, give Walmart the money order, and then they create the electronic cash payment or no? And then Well, the, if they, the, the whole idea of going to a, get a money order is because they've only got cash. Gotcha. So they wouldn't need to get a money order. They would just they, take their cash and bypass the, the, nest, the need for getting a money order and just give the cash and, to the register agent. And so that may be how they do it also. But I think that that's a very, I think that's another customer service thing. And it helps both the tenant and it helps the owner. because Well, the, here's the other person it helps. And this is actually not even considered. Um, every time you take a, by the way, we don't take personal checks or money orders. Every time our managers take a personal check or a money order, they've got to go make a run to the bank to make a bank deposit. Okay. Now, if you've got a 200 unit property and you're taking personal checks and money orders, can you imagine how much time is wasted taking that valuable asset and taking it out of the office and having it drive over to make a bank deposit when it's not even necessary times that by the number of times you got to go do that. 
And you're talking about a huge amount of savings for that office manager in time lost at the office doing the things that matter most. And also, what if the manager enters the deposits incorrectly? If they got if they fat finger a one besides a zero, then they just entered a uh, you know a money order improperly. And when it comes time to reconcile on the back end, we're not going to be able to tie those things out because the numbers are going to be off. And we're going to have to go do some research and figure out that that oh, finally we'll figure it out after some some amount of time. That oh, you know what? The person entered the wrong number. All that gets eliminated with uh, with ACH payments and ECP payments because the receipts get auto created when the person makes the payment. Yeah. Plus, you know, going back to the original thing with, with you know, if somebody shows up and at least you know the office manager's not there because they're they're running to the bank, then that hurts the customer experience and you got po- it and possibly you know lost lease. You got it. All right. So this one. I don't, ex- that was a positive, res- every time I've thrown out a question, you have a positive response. This one may, may not be, but I'm thinking to myself, okay, JC's talking about aligning yourself as an investor, you know, and, you know, it's focused on profitability, but this is a property management company and every property management company that I have seen the way that they are compensated is a percentage of collections. Okay. So if it's a percentage of collections, then they, they are aligned with the owner to grow collections, but they may not be aligned to minimize expenses as much and increase profitability. So is your, and I, I maybe should have asked this before we got on, but is your compensation similar to most property management companies that's based on com- collections? Oh yeah, no, we're 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 paid on gross uh, gross income okay. uh, before expenses, and uh, and therein lies the challenge. Of course, um, of course it does. Um, but I would I would argue that um, most management companies, okay, and I know this because I've I've had one for a long time. They're not out to uh, waste uh, your money. I think what actually what ends up happening is the efficiency of how the management company is set up can can be the the main reason why money is wasted. And what I mean by that is let's just take a very, very simple example, okay? Let's say that you have a requirement for a resident to come in and and write give a written work order and write it and hand it off to the manager before it can be done, right? And there's a lot of reasons why that's not a good thing, but let's just say that that was the rule, okay? Well, what if the manager doesn't get that work order and doesn't enter into the system? Or what if that manager enters into the system, but they enter into the system five days after it was submitted? Okay, now that resident is going to become upset. That resident is going to think that the management company does not care about them. And so that resident is probably not going to renew their lease or in the very least is going to write a nasty Google review. Okay. Once that Google review gets posted or that resident does not renew, you as an owner have just lost a lot of money because now your expenses are going up because you've got a make ready turn. And by the way, make ready turns are one of the most costly things in terms of controllable expenses that you want to avoid. So the, the higher your resident retention, the better off your, your, your expenses are going to be because you're not turning as many units. Um, so that's not necessarily a, re- a reflection of the 
management company wanting to spend more money at your property. I think that's a, that's a problem with the way that they're set up. They are set up not with not a very efficient way of handling the work order request. And that in turn actually causes a lot of wasted money. But the management company is not necessarily wanting to waste that money. It's just that they didn't think about the process of how to make it more efficient. So I think that is, in my opinion, where management companies can be seemingly wasting your money, but it's really more of a, of a problem with the way that they're set up and going to market. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, man, so many good things. So, um, talk about an issue with property management and how you've solved it other than these one, two, three areas. Um, you know, uh, I would say that, um, one of the big issues that I think that is out there, um, and, and it's a, it's a, I think it's an, it's a, it's an issue that a lot of owners face is, um, when you have a, uh, a resident and, um, and they actually submit a work order. Okay. Um, are you actually checking in with the, uh, the client, the resident that has a work order once it's been, once it's been, uh, actually, uh, completed, completed and just asking them how it went. Or we, we actually send out automatic surveys to every single work order that gets completed. And we let the residents write back and say they were happy or not happy. Um, just by doing that simple thing, checking in and asking them, you can actually find out that maybe a, something wasn't done right and you can fix it. Or B, you can actually find out that the resident was super happy and you can ask them to give a five-star Google review. Yeah, no, that, that's, and, a, that's a very smart approach. I've seen it where all of a sudden I look at the, as an owner, the outstanding, you know, uh, work order requests and there's a request saying, I submitted a request two weeks ago and that, and then it, got deleted and nobody even showed up. Right. Well, that is terrible. Yep. And so having that automatic follow-up, you know, would have alerted that person. No, nobody showed up. And then you'd get somebody there, you know, versus yeah. because that one person put that work order comment in, but there's, there may be one or two or three other residents that had the same situation happen and they just didn't bother to do anything about it. And yeah. so, um, man, that's, that's a lot. So what type of properties and owners are you looking for? Um, we, we specialize in, in, in large scale apartment properties so to manage. So our scale, model really makes, it makes a lot more sense for 150 units and bigger. Okay, um, okay. but we will manage things about a hundred units and, and larger, but, um, you know, the model that we have really works well for larger scale properties than that. So 150 units plus DFW area. What about mm -hmm. um, ABC class? Where, you know, where you we're, 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 we, you know, we manage A properties and we manage C properties. Um, but I think that, you know, we're, we're very well suited for B and C. Okay. Um, but the technology works just as well for A. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's, that's huge. Um, look, Listeners, if there's anybody out there that, you know, is looking to, you know, try a new property management company, um, definitely uh, reach out to JC and, and talk to him about what they could potentially do for you. Hey, you also have a podcast um, called Operate for Profit. 
You know, yes. when did you start that and what's the focus of that? Well, um, we started that podcast about maybe a year and a half ago or so, and it really was the precursor to launching Velo, Velo Residential. Um, the podcast, the Operate for Profit podcast is all about having, helping owners, uh, you know, operate for more profit with less stress. Um, and, and, you know, that's an important thing if you buy multifamily. Um, your profitability is directly tied to cash flow and tied to equity um, when you're going to sell your property. And also um, having the right ability to operate for profit can reduce your stress. And it's, it's tough enough, this business, um, but when you're not making money, it creates a huge amount of pressure on the, uh, on the, on the, on the owners. And so really the podcast is all about talking about things that and tips and tricks and things that we're doing um, as a management company and as, as, uh, as asset managers to really optimize these properties for, for maximize, for maximum profits. Fantastic. Hey, um, I know that. So typically now I, I would ask you, what's your, what's your big stretch goal? But with a guy like you, you're like, well, I don't, have a unit count or I don't have a, a big, you know, goal. I just want to grow measured. I want to grow with good quality people. So maybe I answered it for you, but what is your big stretch goal? You know, our big stretch goal is, is we really want to right now is we, we just want to find um, about a thousand units or so of owners that want to work with us and that are committed to growing this thing out and we want to make them a lot of money. We want to make them profitable and we want to get their properties under control and we want to make their lives a little bit easier from the management piece. And, uh, and then we, we, we come up and we see what works from there, but that's what we're up after right now. And that is, uh, you know, in our sight lines to do, we've already got, you know, like I said, um, about half of those units spoken for and in, 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 in the books and we're going to round it out and we're going to take it from there. That's awesome. I love I love, as an owner, I love what you just said. I w want to make them a lot of money, you know, yes. where, where it doesn't, you know, every, every management company doesn't say that, you know, although it's, it's supposed to happen that way. Um, what do you like to do outside of work? Well, uh, you know, I have, uh, I have a wife and a, and a dog and, uh, and I spend a lot of time with my family, my immediate family and my extended family. And I love old cars and I love uh, new cars. I'm a, I'm a bit of a car guy as well. So between those two things, which I don't have as much time to do, uh, that's what I love to do. But do you, do you fix up old cars? I collect them. I'm, I'm definitely not a fixer. <laughs> <laughs> you collect them though. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Well, I appreciate you coming on. If somebody wants to reach out and get to know more about you, get to know more about your property management company, um, what's the best way for them to do that? It's very simple. They just go to operateforprofit.com. Again, operateforprofit.com, and that'll take them right to our website, and they can get in touch with us, uh, and they can, they can check out our website with great information on how we can help them make more money. Fantastic. Well, um, thank you for coming on the show. Um, you've opened my eyes to a bunch of different things on the operational front. And I love that somebody is, is focused on, you know, trying to make that a, as efficient as possible and the best um, customer experience for the tenant. Um, because I think that that's so critical. Um, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. 
If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 